Hey, you hear? <laughs> Wherever on earth you are, welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. We've got Paul's second interview with singer-songwriter, recording artist, Rusty Anderson for you today. It was recorded in Rusty's hotel room in Columbia, South Carolina, back in May 2015. Rusty was on tour with Paul McCartney. In fact, he's been with McCartney since 2001. And in this interview, Rusty talks about his album entitled Rusty Anderson Afternoon 2. And more. Lots more. We got a lot of content like this, and we'd like to share it with you. We need to get it out there. And you can support independent media and give to yourself and to others the gift of stories. Simply visit thepaulleslie.com slash support, and we be thanking you. Hey, I think it's time. Let's hear what Rusty had to say. Let's listen together. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the show. That's right. In person, Mr. Rusty Anderson, and we're going to be talking about a number of things, but mostly we're going to be talking about his EP. It's out on Oxide Records, Rusty Anderson Afternoon 2. That is correct. Okay. Thanks for making the time to do this. It's, yeah, absolutely. It's appreciated. Yeah. What is Rusty Anderson Afternoon? Well, I wanted it to be a band, and I sort of felt like it was probably better to connect my name to it. It just sort of happened. Actually, we ended up doing a contest online, and that was sort of the one that won out of like, I don't know, five or six choices. Yeah. It just sort of rolled off the tongue, and it was something to call a band. And the band being really primarily Todd and I, and I've worked with Todd for a long time, but... We started working together as both songwriting and both singing and, you know, sort of integrating in a, you know, sort of partnership. So, and it's, it has a different sound because of it. And it's been a lot of fun. I really enjoy that. You know, sometimes if you're trying to do everything yourself, it gets really tough. It's easy to get stuck and it's, and, and we have a ball together hanging out, just enjoy each other's company as far as creativity and just friends and stuff. So it's been really fun. And then, you know, I'm, I'm on the road a lot with Paul. So that takes up sort of the bulk of my time and then, and then uh, able to go squeeze in a few gigs and, you know, get some music out. We're working on some music right now. Not exactly sure when it'll be out, but sometime soon, hopefully. Tell us about this friend and collaborator of yours, Todd O'Keefe. Right. How'd you meet him? I used to live in Silver Lake, where he lives, and just mutual friends, you know. He was playing in a band called Green and Yellow TV years ago at the time, and I'd see them. And, you know, it, it's just sort of a social deal, and I always thought he was really talented. And then we just started working together and playing together for a long time, and then and then it sort of morphed into this other thing, so. What is he like? What is he like? He's, he's a, a strange one. He's incredibly positive. He's very positive, which I love. And I think it's, it's a con, for him, it's been a conscious choice. Like one day he decided to be positive because especially I think coming out of like, you know, a lot of the whole vibe in the nineties was very sort of negative in a way, you know, the Nirvana thing and all that. And that, and that kept, you know, if you take that to its logical conclusion, you know, you turn into Kurt Cobain, which, you know, who wants to do that? Right. So I think it was just sort of this, 
this awareness, this aha moment, like, wow, I really love being happy and being positive and stuff. And so that's sort of his vibe. He's a great, a great bass player, great singer, great songwriter, awesome guy. And we like to go hiking and, and just do random, random things, you know, he likes unusual, you know, something that kind of tickles your brain, you know, that feeling of like, wow, that's a new kind of music. I never heard that. Oh, that's an interesting idea. Go to see the, you know, the silent movie with the theater organ or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Some random event. I think we both have that in common, that the feeling of sort of keeping your, your brain challenged by something new and something that is sparks your interest. Open-mindedness. Yeah. And I, and I think that's the same approach we, we take musically is sort of like, because it's always a balance between make, making music that you feel is good music, something that whatever good means and something that maybe is within your style but also something that's sort of new and something that feels new to you and that, that sort of discovery. And that's sort of the approach we take, you know, it's like trying to balance all that out. Well, how would you define that good music? Yeah, I know. That's a tough one. Good music is something that where you just, it's a feeling. It's like where I think it, good music has to have some aspect of some aspects of something you've never heard before. And it could be a, in a subtle way because because you figure that of all the motifs and, and the combination of notes and rhythms that have come before, people have created cliches and musical styles out of things that go well together. It's like cooking or, you know, painting with like certain color palettes or, you know, certain seasonings go with certain foods and all that. But I think it's the same thing with music and you're like looking to discover new things and you can put, you can make chocolate tuna, but it wouldn't really behoove anybody. You know what I mean? It's like, that's new, but it's not really good. <laughs> so it's always that finding that balance. That's the trick. And, it, and, and music is something you can't touch. It's ineffable. And, and it's, that's, I think, why people love it so much. You can't smell it. You can't taste it. It's like this magic thing in the air. I don't think it's something that you can control, really. That's the other beautiful thing about music. You know, everyone's got different tastes and you can't really always and music is sort of a feeling. Any art, is, it creates a feeling. And you can stare at a painting, and then maybe at a certain point, you get sick of it. You know what I mean? Or maybe it'll inspire you forever. Or there's just so many aspects to it. And I think that's why people love it so much. And why, why it's cl a classic part of, you know, integral to human beings. Why do you suppose it is that you write songs? I think it's just the need to create. It's that same thing. It's that need to invent something new that I wish I was listening to maybe like, wow, I wish I could turn on, you know, the internet or the, whatever you listen to, you know, the radio, a CD, a vinyl, you know, and just put it on and go, wow, that's, that's not only is that new, but it's, it really speaks to my soul. And so I think that's the place that I come from writing music is like, if I get an inspiration, maybe I'll record that verse or that, you know, maybe a verse in a chorus or some lyrics or this cool riff or, you know what I mean? It's a process. And then, and then the songs starting, start coming together. And I think that's the goal, just always to have, have the element of inspiration within the, the tune. You would say that inspiration kind of finds you as opposed oh, yeah. to you looking for it. Well, I think, but you can help it. Okay. You help. know? I don't know if you really focus. I found that if, you know, if I'm really focusing, oh man, I got to write some songs. I really want. And then all of a sudden, magically things start to come together. 
I think it's a craft and it's a lot of work because, you know, you can just like write down the first thing that comes to your head and then turn it into a song, but it's not always the best thing. You know, it's not all the greatest stuff. I mean, lots of times I'll just, I'll have an inspiration and I'll record it and I'll go, yeah, that's pretty cool. I got a jillion ideas. I used to use cassettes years ago and now it's, you know, on my iPhone or whatever, but you know, I got a jillion ideas and part of it is, I guess, having the time because I'm working with Paul a lot, whether it's on the road or in the studio, I have a four-year-old daughter and, you know, I, I want to spend time with my family, you know, and it, there's so many things to life as opposed to being like a teenager. When I first started really playing guitar and writing and stuff and you could just woodshed your brains out and you had time to do it. And I guess I was fortunate because maybe not all t- teenagers do, but then once again, it's a balance, the whole thing. How do you go about writing songs? What's your process? Yeah, there is no specific process. Sometimes I'll be writing with Todd and we'll just, you know, start bouncing around an idea. I, you know, maybe I'll come in with like just the bare bones of something or he will, or we'll just make it up on the spot, just start jamming and go, oh yeah, I like that bit. And then just, we'll just kind of slowly trudge through it, you know, and, and, and maybe come up with something and then end up changing the like points of interest. I think we changed the title and we changed the chords around and eventually turned into what it was, you know, but the seed of the feeling of the song started off pretty intact the first day. And then, you know, like a song, like, you know, coming under earth, I wrote that years ago. It sort of came together pretty quickly. And I, and I think I changed the, the, the pacing of the chords after the fact, but the basic song was very intact. Sometimes the lyrics come with the melody and sometimes they can come first or after, you know, sometimes I'll just write down some lyrics and I'll just have this feeling I'll be in a bar and I'll write on a napkin or, you know, whatever. And then, I'll, and then that'll turn into something could be a riff, could be, you know, just like, God, I love like devil spaceship. I just was really in love with that riff and that eventually turned into the song, but it started off with the riff was the core of it. Hmm. Are there certain things that you find give you a lot of inspiration, whether it's people or things or things that you do? Like, is there anything that's like a catalyst for you? Well, relationship stuff, for sure. I mean, whether it's with my wife or past relationships that I can sort of summons up and some things may be unresolved or, or, you know, an awareness that comes to you or feeling... Or it could be just some phrase, you know, that I'll hear. I go, wow, that's an amazing phrase. And it just conjures up all these images, you know. It's really strange because I think it's it's dangerous to be too of the moment in a way. like Or political, like really overtly political. Not because I'm not political. Everybody's political. You can't get away from it these days. I mean, you know, right down the street. You know, we just happened to be here and I happened to walk by and there they uh, had a procession with the casket from the, the minister that was that was killed by the, the crazy racist. And this whole event's just going on because we're close to the epicenter of that thing. And I just happened to be here and, you know, and that's something of the moment. And you could get all into that and stuff. And I think that those things have a huge effect on me, whether it's climate shift or... There's so many things. I mean, that's really the biggest one of all of them for me, I would say, is that the danger of climate shift and mass extinction and stuff that affects every person on the planet, obviously. But, you know, those things affect me, but I try not to maybe directly go right in the epicenter of that, 
you know what I mean? Right to the center of that golf ball and, and nail it. I, I mentioned golf ball because I remember trying to get to the center of a golf ball once. And then I, I was, I must have been nine years old. And I finally got to the center and I, and I stuck it with a knife and it squirted some liquid in my eye. <laughs> anyway, tangent. But I think it's, it's more like a feeling of like, that's something that's worth writing about. That's something that's worth writing a song about that somehow, and it could be the simplest little, breath of something, you know, or it could be some profound, like Born on Earth is a very grandiose concept, but I liked it because it reminded me of like Born in the USA or Born in the Bayou or something like that. But it was something that included everybody instead of trying, instead of the, you know, trying to isolate yourself as this sort of special group is that we're all a special group really is this sort of concept of that one. But that's a very sort of grandiose kind of a lyric as opposed to like, what's another one? Certainly. Julia um, Roberts. Julia Roberts is very specific. Yeah, that was sort of a reverse stalking song because I felt like, you know, celebrities were stalking us everywhere we go, you know, at the movies, <laughs> at the tabloids. And so I wanted to stalk her back because I actually what happened is I had a dream about her and I hadn't thought about her for years. You know, it just, and she just somehow came into my dream. I'm like, wow, this celebrity that I feel like I know is in my dreams. And I, and I didn't know her and I've, I've seen her around, but I've haven't really taught, you know, gotten into a big conversation with her. And it's, but it, it just hit me how like no one really thinks about it per se. You don't think about these celebrities on that level. You know, you might go, oh, they're cute or I want to be them or, or they're a jerk or whatever, you know, but they're like these people we vicariously live through. So that seemed like something that just tickled me. It was like something that, that I'd never really heard presented in a song before. So it inspired me to write. And I wrote it with my friend Jordan Lawhead, actually, who's a wonderful guy, too. If you're out there, Jordan. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Or a song like Little One was written for my daughter when she was a few months old. And that was just a very specific personal thing. But hopefully, the, you know, even if you get specific in a song, that it can still apply to a lot of people's situations and, and it's a communication, especially, I mean, I love instrumental music too. I'm working on some instrumental music that will probably be released one day, but whether it's, you know, the integration of, of words and music and arrangements and production, or it's just instrumental, it's still a feeling that, that music has always inspired me. And that's, that's how I feel like I communicate best really more than like, as we're talking now or, you know, just chatting with someone or, or that kind of thing. Sometimes music or stage feels like more home than any place else it's for whatever reason. Hmm. You mentioned Little One a moment ago. There's another song on this EP that I wanted to ask you about. Hmm. Tell me about the inspiration of Effortless. Well, that one actually was, it was a sort of a combo platter of the Effortless concept was something that, you know, I'd sort of written the lyric a while before and then I sort of it became a collage with 16th century Renaissance poetry and the cons it's just basically like how at the core of us all like love there's this at least well for me I can only speak for myself really that there's sort of an illusion or an expectation or this of course love should be effortless it should just flow and feel like and then when you get down to all the aspects of it and all the perception of it and, and the concept throughout history, I think it's anything but, you know, 
And, and they always say that, you know, relationships, you got to put a lot of work into blah, blah, blah. And that's even if you can, you know, have, manage to have a relationship, you know, cause some people have one relationship their whole life. Some people are serial monogamous or get married multiple times. Some people never even have relationships and it's, there's so many aspects to it. And I think that's just, the song is sort of like a study in that. Another song I wanted to ask about, Modern History. Uh, Tell us about that one. That one, actually, the weird thing about that one was that it was sort of written backwards. The chorus was written backwards. I, I'd written a song, and I'm sure if you spin it backwards, you hear the song, and the, <laughs> the original song. But played it backwards, and the other people in the room heard the same thing, Modern History. Like, wow, that's cool. So that sort of became the concept of the song and it was written backwards. And that's one of the successful ones because I've done it before and it hasn't been successful. You know, writing backwards is, it's really novel and it's really, it always tickles me in some way, but rhythmically it's always tougher. I think that's the problem because in music is so rhythm, the rhythmic these days. I mean, the radio is all about rhythm more than melody. I love great rhythm more than anybody, but I, I love melody too. And it seems like in a lot of ways in this era, melodies have become sort of like an excuse for melesma, you know, some singer just showing off their chops. And, and the melody itself is sort of, sometimes it feels it's gone the way of the dodo. But there again, it's all taste. Everybody's got different taste. It's like if you, if you took every single person on the planet and asked them to make a list of their top 20 songs, say, Every one of those would be different mm -hmm. if they didn't consult each other. Every single one of them, I guarantee you, would be different. I think that's a beautiful thing about art and music and stuff is that you can't nail it down. Back to my original point. So personal. Very personal. For the creator and the audience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But modern history, with that, yeah, that was a very unique one, the way that all came together. It seems like... You're the kind of songwriter that is pushing himself into uncharted territory a lot. Is That's that true. Accurate? For better, for worse. You know, I mean, I guess we all use formulas. I say I'm not a formulaic guy, but we all, all use formulas to certain degrees, you know. And and there's artsy and craftsy when it comes to songwriting. And some people are more artsy and some are more craftsy. And I think you kind of need both. You know, you can't just be one or the other. Sid Barrett started turning into almost all artsy and no craftsy. It's a balance. And so, yes, I love Uncharted Territory. It always inspires me and it's cool. And there is also the aspect of music that you have to have form, right? I mean, you can have, like, there's ambient music and stuff, which bores me to tears, or it's good for if you're getting a massage or, or you know, in a yoga class or something. But it wouldn't really be something that I would probably bother doing, you know what I mean? I'm, I sort of like music that's a little more eventful than that. It kind of gives me energy or pulls, it sort of pulls me along mm -hmm. in, in a quicker mm -hmm. pace. So as soon as you do that, then you're dealing with form, right? And as soon as you have form, then you have formulaic possibility, unless you completely bypass all the rules, which I love to do. But that's always tricky, too. So it's there's no short answer to your question, really. <laughs> I, I combine all of them, really. The last interview we did, you talked about some of the songwriters that were influential. And you mentioned Bob Dylan. You mentioned the band 
band of horses. Mm-hmm. You mentioned a few different groups. Who do you think is the most creative songwriter that's out there? God. Yeah, there's so many. I mean, that, you know, t- throughout history. I listen to everything from blues, old school blues guitarists, you know, the original, you know, the documented ones from, you know, uh, Skip James, you know, Booker White and those guys. And that feels really creative to me too. You know, Rachmaninoff and, and George Gershwin. And I love Debussy, my favorite. He, the reason I love Debussy so much is because it feels like you're listening to a jungle growing. You have plants, you know, you feel like you're, it's completely organic in, and the flow is only interrupted by the evolution or the natural natural events that cause flow to change. It's really hard to put into words, but he, he sort of blows my mind in that respect. And I have to say, those are sort of my inspiration more, a lot more than new music. I'm constantly listening to new music and it kind of, in certain ways, it maybe is affecting me. In other ways, it kind of goes in one ear and out the other. Because I guess I'm always looking for that truly inspired something that's that's maybe before somehow art before commerce. I heard a funny thing. I was talking to the doorman the last hotel we were staying at, and he was saying he's he's from Barbados, and his his favorite guitarist was Eric Gale. I'm like Eric Gale, never heard of him. So I went and put it on, and he's this jazz guy from the '70s. Was had sort of had like '70s sounding jazzy guitar stuff. And the strange singing. And I'm like, that's amazing the way he is singing. So kind of flowy and random to the way he's improvising. Is he singing? Is that, that's got to be overdubbed because you couldn't really do both those things at the same time, but they were kind of working together nicely. I'm like, that's really cool. And it turned out what it was, was completely instrumental music. And somehow my iTunes had flipped on. Is it Aaron Neville is the singer? Yeah, yeah. Aaron Neville singing Amazing Grace in this very, very fluid, slow pace in the same key as the Eric Gale song. So they seamlessly intersected. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> that was kind of inspiring to me. And it's a lot of it's hap- happenstance. I'll go and listen to a record, you know, Alabama Shakes or whatever. And I go, oh, that's cool. You know, like this and that. And But I rarely feel like lately that I found like someone that flipping out over that I really want to listen to that over and over again. One of the things on the album Rusty Anderson Afternoon to the EP, what inspired the idea to do the 10cc song, I'm Not In Love? I just always liked the song. It was very kind of silly and random that I know that, that, that does their catalog. You know, we just, it kind of came up talking about 10CC. I'm like, yeah, that's a cool song. So Todd and I sang it together, but he's sort of the main singer on it. And I just thought, I just heard his voice singing that song and sort of the, the, it'd be cool to do a nice arrangement of it. And we just, it was just sort of done very impulsively. In addition to the fact that you write songs, you record your own songs, you also perform with Paul McCartney. Yes. Would you say that it is intimidating or inspiring to be a songwriter and to work with Paul McCartney? All of the above. I mean, Paul <laughs> Paul is a sweet guy. Given his stature in life, he's about as cool as you could get. You know what I mean? I mean, he has to wear a lot of hats. He has to be the 
the boss and, and sort of lead the band. And he's the family guy. He's the, the businessman deals with it. You know, and it's like us all. We all have to wear a lot of hats, but he's the extreme version of that. So sometimes we're hanging out, we're buddies, you know, sometimes it's more like business. He's still writing songs all the time and doing that. He's on his own trajectory. And I think for me, given the fact that I started playing when I was five, it, a, a strange thing happened was that when I was five, my brother passed away, who was the oldest at 19, and I was five. And, and right at that time, my older sister, who was six years older, was listening to Beatles records. I loved it. I thought, wow, that's cool. You know, that's that's something I identify with. And I just instantly wanted to play guitar and all that stuff. And it's sort of like looking back on it now with sort of the perspective of being older, see, oh, you know, real life really kind of sucked. It kind of, you know, messed my family up, obviously. And fantasy and music and the ineffable, beautiful, intangible aspect of music, it became all that really mattered to me. You know what I mean? And then I think I've been hyper-focused on that ever since then, you know? And it's hard to know exactly how that would have played out had things been different. I think that Paul has influenced, you know, the Beatles and Paul and John and, you know, and then it turned into Jimi Hendrix and David Bowie and blah, 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 and every other cool artist I could, anybody I considered cool, influenced me. But they were sort of like the first impression on the photo, on the, on the, uh, the photographic paper, you know, which is always strong. Mm -hmm. So I think through osmosis, the music of Paul and, and people that he's worked with has influenced me a lot. And you can't even really put that into words. You know what I mean? It's just a sort of a fact. I get influenced by a lot of people. I think sometimes the biggest influence on me that, that Paul had was his incredible diversity. He's very eclectic. You know, and the Beatles were sort of of an era and maybe even the defining voice of that era that promoted eclecticity. Is that a word? <laughs> Whatever. But they, you listen to, I mean, the White Album, it had Mother Nature's Son and Helter Skelter. You know what I mean? It's like, it's sort of at the core of that thing. And I've always loved that. And I think that in a lot of ways, the best niche marketing thing you could do is the opposite and just have one specific sound that's, you know, ACDC or, I don't know, electronic dance artist or something where it's, it's like, this is exactly how you sound all the time. And it's very narrow parameters that you can, you have to stay within. And I'm exactly the opposite of that. I just like to make music that inspires me or it tickles me or something. So, and I don't worry about trying to get rich off of it, you know, and I have that luxury. So, well, on that note, what is the best thing about being Rusty Anderson? I feel very, very lucky, I have to say. I think we're all lucky that we're alive. And those of us that are that don't have to struggle, like a lot of the world, the planet, you know, we realize more and more has to struggle with with day-to-day -day life, whether it's, you know, being able to get food or water or, you know, being in a war-torn country or something. I mean, there's just so many so many things to be thankful for. And, you know, given that, I, I mean, it's just, I could go on and on forever. I feel so lucky to be able to play music and to be able to express myself in that way. 
And I feel very fortunate to have a family and to have good friends. And what else could you ask for, really? Yeah. Yeah. My last question. Who is Rusty Anderson? Ooh, I have no clue. Oh, the places you'll go. <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm a character in a Dr. Seuss book a lot of times. Hmm. I've never felt like I fit into anything, if that makes sense. Hmm. You know, I've always felt like, you know, an outcast, misfit, but maybe fitting in with other misfits. If I, you know, I think there's a certain aspect to that, you know, throughout the years where, I mean, in, in high school or wherever, you know, there's always cliques of people and different groups. And I have a tendency to sort of have friends in a lot of different worlds, you know, as opposed to being like one Andy Warhol click or whatever it is, you know what I mean? Because I feel like if you subscribe to a mob mentality or click mentality too much that you're getting misled, the ultimate being like a Jim Jones cult, you know what I mean? Something like that. That's like the ultimate thing that I would really try to avoid doing. If I didn't know anything about Jim, the Jim Jones cult and something looked interesting, I might want to find out about it. I think things are interesting, whether it's Scientology or whatever. I'm not a, a Scientologist, believe me. But I understand why people are curious about it. And you look at something like Scientology and it's just got such a scary rap, you know, and, and it looks pretty, pretty dark and twisted and, and messed up. And I wouldn't really, you know, having the knowledge that I have now probably would get involved with something like that. If I didn't have a lot of knowledge about it, I'd want to find out about it. I go river rafting sometimes and hiking and, and skiing, but I haven't done it in a, in a number of years for a number of reasons, but I like adventure, but I'm not, again, I don't really feel like I fit like straight into like a click, you know, like someone that's spending all their time playing jazz guitar or spending all their time, you know, mountain biking or trying to be the greatest accountant or whatever. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? It's like people, I think OCD behavior is really important. And I think that I did have a lot of OCD times, you know, where I've just sit and woodshed it on guitars and, and coming up with new sounds and, and this and that. And I think that you almost have to have that OCD thing in order to get really good at something and to focus on something and to, and to create some sort of, to finish a song. I mean, certainly if you're a director to finish a movie or whatever, you know what I mean? I think that artists are not really fully balanced, but I try to be for better, for worse, just because it sort of is what I aspire to. But I think in a way being balanced has led me to trying to be balanced. I should say has led me to having that very eclectic aspect to my personality and wanting to to discover new things and, and hear new kinds of music and see different art. And but it doesn't mean I'm going to instantly want to try to imitate every new, the latest thing that comes along, which I think is another thing that, that to me is a big booby trap. Some people live their lives that way. Like they just instantly like just top on the latest bandwagon. And I'm definitely not that guy. But if there's some aspect to the latest bandwagon that's, that blows my mind, I might be influenced by it for sure. Hmm. Does that answer your question? It does. <laughs> you're an eclectic guy. Yeah. Yeah, that's basically it. Do I feel that you're eclectic? No, that you're eclectic. I do, yes. Yeah. And I, I guess doing what you do, because you interview a lot of different people, a lot of different artists, and you kind of take away different responses to it, all right? Yeah. I mean, there have been times where I've thought like, 
what who is it that I interview? Like, oh, I think it's this. This is where this is where I'm at. And then something else, and I'll think, this is fascinating too. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, Rusty Anderson, thank you very much. Thank you, Paul Leslie. We thank you and appreciate you dropping in for the Paul Leslie Hour today. You know, you can help the Paul Leslie Hour in our mission to provide independent media content like this by visiting www.thepaulleslie.com slash support. We truly thank you. This is your announcer speaking. Performance of the Entertainer intro song and Corina Corina outro song, courtesy of John Primerano. Well, that's it for today. So until next time, be safe and be good.